You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to another podcast from LCMS Mission Field USA. Thanks for joining us today. A very exciting topic for us. Uh, I think it's fair to say it's been months uh, in the making and hours of effort has gone into this. So I would like to uh, also thank my co-host, Mark Larson, who has helped to get us to this point. Hello, Mark. Hello, Steve. It's gl- I'm glad to be here as always. And to give you a little clue as to what I'm talking about, today we have with us Ryan Kernut, who serves in our LCMS rosters and statistics. Welcome, Ryan. Yeah, glad to be here, Steve and Mark. So without further ado, uh, we want to talk about a very important church planting research study that's been uh, probably over a year now in the making, working with a lot of uh, different folks to make this happen, look at some of the history of church planting, where we're at now, what are some key success factors. And so we're really excited to dive into the research and the study and to give you some of the the keys that we found for the future of church planning. So with that said, Ryan, uh, why do you see this research being necessary? Um, well, there, there's a lot of a lot of great improvements have been made over the past 15 years in our record keeping in the Synod, uh, especially related to uh, new church starts and, and, and church plants. Uh, the Council of Presidents and Roster Statistics have greatly improved how we track church plants, um, how we classify them, what, you know, knowing how to, how we define them. Um, and while these improvements have been made, there's still a lot of missing information at the synodical level. Uh, and, and it's one of those cases where we, we, we don't always know what we don't know. Um, we're still dependent on uh, the reports that come up from our districts that we would know this at a national level. And so we, we know that there are some gaps. We know that there was information to be filled in, and we wanted to get out uh, beyond just what the numbers in, in St. Louis say so that we could find out really what is going on with church planning in the LCMS over the past two decades. Um, and also, the information collected by rosters and statistics, it really measures the, the quantity of church planting efforts, but it doesn't really give us specific information on the details of these church plants. What's happening uh, at the local level? How did it start? Why did it start? Um, you know, what, what strategies did they implement? Um, you know, if it, if it closed, why did it close? Uh, if, it, if it grew, why did it grow? So these kinds of details aren't always known at, at the national level. And we wanted to really dig in uh, to, to find some of this out, to really dig into strategies as well. So kind of our two main goals are, are, are summed up in those in those areas of unknowns is is to fill in sort of the the gaps of the actual data the actual volume of church plants is has anything not been reported um, you know and, and fill in fill in that kind of information but then also to dig down to that deeper level and look at strategies and practices used in church planning so that we could understand what's been done uh, and we can also understand you know what tends to work really well, uh, and what, if anything, needs to or, or might be better off set aside. 
Very good. So we do know from a national level, kind of an agreed upon definition of what makes a new start a new start. It's a gathering of people who join around God's word and even sacraments as well. And they have the intention of becoming a congregation. And so we have that as a national kind of standard, but it really does depend on the local level as to what gets defined as being a new start in a particular district. And then to dive in, as you said, to, to dig into that uh, deeper uh, information, we need to do some research. So, Ryan, uh, what did the research then involve? Um, so initially, there was we, we, of course, wanted to take a look at what do we know just from the numbers we have. And so uh, the really a, a first phase of this research was just to take an inventory of, of what information rosters and statistics has. Uh, but then after that, uh, we went out to each of the districts and invited them uh, to, to have a telephone interview, either the district president or a mission executive or someone in the district who works really closely with uh, the church planning efforts and who could speak to it. And, and we asked questions that, that really delved back into the history of church planning um, over the past two decades in, that, in each district. Um, and between August and October of 2020, uh, 20 of these interviews took place. So we, we got over half of the districts uh, we actually made uh, good contact with and, and got uh, a dialogue going on, on what they've done, what's been happening in their district. So that was the first part of, the, of this research. And the second part then was to go out to the church planters or, or the church plants themselves and to, to survey with them what, what happened in their situation. You know, how did they start? Uh, we, we also reached some that had closed. So in those cases, what happened that led to that church plant closing? Um, you know, how did they grow? Who was a part of this church plant uh, in terms of broad numbers in a summary? Uh, and that, that survey uh, took place last fall, and we received... Um, 126 responses, and that included church plants that closed. So, so again, this research, the first part was district interviews to really get a sense of, of what the districts see going on. Uh, and then from that, we were able to go out to church plants themselves and have them tell us their stories uh, and what's taken place at their level. Very good. So let's talk a little bit more about how we mined the data and especially when it comes to our efforts, we were just talking about the simplicity of what makes a new start a new start, but really to identify how much activity has been going on and how to eliminate some of the fears and the obstacles and find out the key success factors. But it really starts with, uh, Ryan, what did we learn about the level of our efforts in church planting as a synod? Um, so... So looking at the numbers, the, one of the first things we discovered was we were able to identify uh, around 460, 468 new churches that started since the year 2000, so over about 20 years. Now, uh, keep in mind, I, I want to make clear, this research really kind of started uh, in the early part of 2020, and so most of these numbers were the numbers as of the end of 2019. Uh, that, that means that really nothing from the pandemic is factored into this research for the most part. Um, this, this is really all looking at the years 2000 to 2019. 
Well, we saw 468 new churches started. Uh, and then, but, but, but along with that, we see that the rate of new churches is slowing down. Uh, of those 468, just over 300 were started between 2000 and 2010. So that's, that's about two-thirds were started in the first 10 years. Of the other 160, uh, about two-thirds of those were started between 2011 and 2016. So we see this, this gradual slowing down of the new church efforts um, from, from starting off back in, in, in the early 2000s at, at, at around 30 per year. Uh, and now we're down to less than 15 per year. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that was that was a startling find to, to see, you know, a, a good set of numbers of, of new churches, but the rate dramatically slowing down. Uh, uh, on the good side, uh, uh, most of these new churches are still worshiping, uh, or at least were when we, when we did this research. Uh, it, so they were still worshiping, and they're, a lot of them are becoming LCMS members. And so the way we track uh, new church starts, as you had said, uh, they're, they're, they're not necessarily a, an LCMS member congregation yet when they start off on this journey. Uh, and so, you know, just over half of these congregations have now, have had since at some point become an LCMS member congregation. Um, so that's a large number that have become member congregations and then uh, Three-fourths of them are still open and still worshiping, uh, at least when we did this this research. Um, and so we, we, we saw this. We saw these good news, this, these good signs, uh, along with the lowering rate of church planting. Uh, and then when we pivoted and we, we went and asked the districts what's going on, a lot of them told us and, and, and admitted uh, to us that, that their, their emphasis on church planting has uh, decreased over the past few years. Um, they're giving less attention to church planting. They're making it less of a priority. And so we, we see this, this potential correlation here. Um, and along with that, one of the other startling things we saw was that funding allocated for church planting has diminished significantly by districts. Um, now, we, we, we didn't necessarily check the direction. This, this is one of those, you know, chicken egg scenarios where it could be that the lower attention caused the decrease in planting. It could be that the decrease in planting caused the lower attention, but it's certainly, they certainly are related. They're certainly working in tandem together um, as we see this rate declining. And, and, and Ryan, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can comment on this or, or not, but uh, my understanding is that Okay, so you're saying between 2000 and 2010, we're averaging about 30 church plants per year. And my sense of history is that that was already a big decrease from the former history of, of the LCMS, where you know a number like 50 or 75 or even more than 100 per year would have been common in previous decades. Yes, and unfortunately, as I, as I started off by saying, we've We've improved our, our counting uh, in the past 20 years, uh, but really as we, as we try to go back beyond it, earlier than 2000, we, we do run into some record keeping 
obstacles that, that make it hard to really validate and, and compare those numbers directly. Uh, but we, we, we know enough to get a sense that that's true. Unfortunately, we just can't measure the degree to which it would be true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and also keep in mind, it, just because we're, we're talking about church plant and we're talking about new churches in the LCMS, uh, some there, there still is another set of new congregations to the LCMS that are, were existing congregations that join into synodical membership. And so the number of congregations may appear to change uh, and we need to, we have to also take that time to determine were they a church plant, new, newly started congregation, or were they uh, a pre-existing congregation that joined along? So this number that we're talking about are ones that we validated were truly newly starting churches. All right, so can we pick up then where we can see whether or not church planting, you know, we talk about making disciples for life. Uh, how effective is church planting as a strategy for reaching the lost? Yeah, it, 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 it's somewhat unfortunate that the uh, emphasis and priority of, of church planting has diminished because what we're seeing through this research is that church planting is one of the best strategies there is uh, for, for reaching the lost. Uh, as I said, we went to 126 church plants in the survey. Some of these uh, really grew and really thrived. Others did not necessarily grow. Some have closed. Some have, have kind of continued to exist but staying low. So, so we, we have a wide range of ones that, that really grew, ones that didn't so much grow. Uh, but combined of all these 126 church plants, there were 5,300 regular worship attenders who had never attended an LCMS church before. So that's 5,300 new people coming in to worship at an LCMS church. And a lot of those were, were already Christians, but the survey helped us identify that at least a thousand of these people were not Christians, uh, at least prior to attending. So, so that's an average of 42 new worshipers to the LCMS and eight non-Christians per church plant. Um, this, is, this is much higher than, than most of the rates we see at, at a member congregation uh, coming into these church plants. Altogether, they had 1,200 adult baptisms, 1,500 adult confirmations, and 2,000 professions of faith. That's people... Uh, coming back and professing a faith that maybe they had, had, had walked away from or not been practicing. Uh, these numbers are two to three times more than the adult gained numbers we would see from the average member congregation of the same size. So church plants are, are absolutely effective at this uh, reaching out to lost people and, and making new contacts for the LCMS. Great. And, you know, we kind of have known that anecdotally, but it was really good to put some figures and facts behind this. Um, it seems kind of intuitive that if you're going to start a new ministry and a new place to new people groups, that um, there's a better chance that you will reach the loss. But it was great to see a very good mix of, you know, people from Lutheran, non-Lutheran backgrounds, but also people outside the church that were all kind of an active part 
of the formation of a new LCMS congregation. So that, that was good news, uh, definitely, I thought. Well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, we talk about different ways to go about uh, outreach and ministry with church planting, but we can call that a strategy. And what did we learn, Ryan, in terms of best strategies that districts brought up for successful church planting? Yeah, um, it, one thing that I was kind of just saying and just touching on was this importance of, of districts making a, a priority uh, for church planting. Um, we heard we heard several districts admit, yeah, I, they just haven't been placing a priority on it. They haven't been talking about it. They haven't been pushing it among their people. Uh, and we see the numbers reflecting those districts tending to have lower volume of, of church planning activity, whereas other districts that, that really push it, that really make it a priority, we see those numbers, you know, going quite high. Uh, we see them being very successful with the church plants they have. Uh, and so this making it a priority uh, seems to be absolutely important, but this isn't necessarily something that that requires a, a lot of, of work and effort. Uh, it really is just sort of an intentionality. As, as we listen to how the districts have made church planning a priority, they talk about it. They talk about it at pastors' conferences. They talk about it in their updates. They bring attention to church planting. They they show the need. They cast a vision. Um, it they're they're not uh, micromanaging. Uh, they're not pushing for specific church plants in specific areas. They're just bringing attention, showing a need, casting a vision. Uh, along with that, they're setting aside some resources. They're they're making room financially for for church plants, for the development of church planners. Uh, they're they're getting church planners to network together and 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 provide ongoing training. Uh, but it's 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 not that they're putting a, a, a necessarily a tremendous amount of direct work and management into this. In fact, what we see is that most of them have most of the districts that have had the highest volume in church planning have preferred a sort of bottom-up leadership structure, letting the vision come from someone who wants to plant a church rather than the districts, you know, decreeing that that this will be an area they'll focus on to, to plant a specific church. They wait for, for the they wait for the movement to be more grassroots and and come up on its own. Uh, and then they let the decisions be handled internally by that congregation rather than managing it themselves. Very good. And it's just like having a family, you know, when you get married and you make some intentional decisions about we're ready to grow our family and have a child, uh, it's a big commitment and it requires a lot of intentional thought and work. And so it's the same thing with church planting. If mothers, congregations are not giving birth to children, congregations uh, we need to really reflect on that, how much of an impact it would make uh, for us as a family if we get back to, uh, you know, again, birthing new kids. And so I think that's important to really recognize that, uh, you know, across our districts and nationally that, you know, it does take some intentionality. It's a very important part of getting this going again when it comes to planting new churches. Now, with that said, and these being some of the things we learned in terms of best strategies, um, 
Ryan, what did we learn uh, across the board in terms of the best strategies for church planting then? Yeah, um, it, one thing I'll also point out as, as, I, as I go into this is, is we also saw a lot of these interviewers, the interviews with the districts, they shared a lot of the same ideas. Um, and so it, what's, what I think is good uh, right off the bat is that we see a harmony in a lot of the ways that many of the districts are thinking about church planting. Uh, and they're talking to each other and they're sharing their ideas and experiences. And that's really how we were able to, to derive from what they were saying. And then by looking at the, the numbers in the, in the surveys, uh, what we do think are, are some of the best strategies. So it's in part from what the districts have learned from their experiences and then us testing those same theories with the survey data and seeing, looking specifically at, at church plants that have, that have grown, that have, have expanded, have reached out and, and obviously continued uh, and continue worshiping today. Uh, but, but so some examples of what we've seen, uh, an emphasis on the right planner, the right planter, uh, having, having sort of that, that outgoing, amicable personality that, that can, can make friends and build relationships, having the right gifts. Um, in many cases, having the right demographic, uh, especially, especially if the church plant is uh, intended to target a, a, a ethnicity or a specific language group or an immigrant group, um, having the right demographic to engage that group um, tended to be very important. Um, but, but, but really, it's a, it's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's obviously the pastoral gifts to be a good pastor, but on top of that, to really be outgoing and building relationships and, and drawing people in. Um, but with that, we also saw that paired with ongoing development of the church planner, the districts that really saw the most activity and really saw the most success in their church plants were providing one-on-one -on -one coaching or mentoring with church planters. They're pro providing networking opportunities where church planters can get together and share their experiences and thoughts. So that, that right planter paired with the ongoing development of the planter uh, seems to be consistently one of the most important things uh, that we were seeing. Along with that, we see the point of being connected with other congregations. So this development that leads to one-on-one -on -one coaching or mentoring really comes from being connected with sister congregations, uh, the church planter himself being connected with other pastors uh, locally, connected, integrated as a part of the synod was, was, was important. That way, Sister congregations can provide resources when needed. The district can provide resources when needed. But though they are connected and though they are networked with the rest of Synod, especially Synod in that place, we see that the districts, that, again, that have the most success allowed the, allowed the church plant to be autonomous, to, to raise up its own leadership, to make its decisions locally, uh, to really cast its own vision and set its direction. Uh, and the district is really there more to provide support and guidance and assistance as needed, as opposed to being uh, a direct manager and, and, and casting the vision 
from from above. So this bottom up leadership seems to be much more favored than than the top down uh, approach. So autonomous congregate autonomous church plants, but connected with the with the synod around them. Along with that, as well, we see the need to prioritize and build relationships. I, I said earlier the one of the first traits we saw being mentioned a lot was that this church planter can go out and build relationships, be outgoing, reach out to people. Um, and what we see overwhelmingly in this was, was this, this emphasis, this focus on relationships. Obviously a church plant needs to attract people. Um, and we, we live in a, in a culture today that, that isn't necessarily going to be attracted by a, a large event. It might get their attention, but, it, but what people are looking for today is relational connection. And so they want to know, they want to, they want to be met with and dealt with individually, one-on-one. -on -one. And so this, this approach of, of building relationships, having a presence in the community that is, that is personal and uh, builds, a, builds a reputation and an understanding, that's really what seems to be a, a great a quality for a great church planner. But then this priority on building relationships is, is why. And so we see this growth by reaching out. Um, one thing we tested in, in the survey was we asked how many of their core members or members over time were LCMS Lutherans from another congregation that, that directly came over versus how many were people that had not been attending any church or even any LCMS church and were new and were coming in. And what we found is the church, the church plants that tended to grow the most, that tended to, to thrive on our index were the, the church plants that didn't depend heavily on LCMS Lutherans from other churches. They really were the ones that grew by reaching out, by getting new people from the community uh, new to the LCMS to come in. Um, and so this, this building by relationships, uh, it's, it, that's not to say it's, it's wrong for a, a sister church to, to provide uh, even people that, to help the church plant get going. Um, but what's important to remember is that is in many cases, those people have a place to go back to. They have a congregation that they'll go back to at the end of the day. So the, the church plant Either, either they need to be fully committed to this is going to be their church, uh, or, or really the, the church plant just needs to be reaching out and, and adding more people uh, from the community and building that way, because otherwise they're just taking from other congregations and, and the synod itself is not really growing. All right, fair enough. So that was one of the things I thought was most important that we discovered was really that shift from the attractional to the relational model. And, you know, it's no longer just about, we're gonna have the best building and facilities, we're gonna have the most programs and that's gonna attract uh, people in the community. It was really about, no, it's it's one-on-one -on -one relationships being built. And then having a strong relationship with somebody allows you then to invite them to be a part of the church, uh, the life of the church. and so. 
it was important uh, to have the right kind of collaborative characteristics for your church planter to build a strong core group and a group of people that, you know, are inviting to the community and witness and outreach were also uh, vital for that as well. So with this relational model, we know that, you know, just about 80% of people that come to worship at a church uh, and a church plant is because someone that they had a relationship invited them to church. And so that was, to me, one of the most important findings was just uh, how much of a shift there has been from that once attractional model that's going to draw people into one-on-one relationships being a key factor for success. So, yes. Yeah. What else do you have on that? Um, and, well, right along with that, it, there, there's, there needs to be something to invite them to. Um, and, and so when people are inviting people to, to church and they come, uh, we, what we found in, in the research was that there needs to be a bit of a critical mass. There needs to be a group that they're coming into and seeing, a group of, of built relationships that's already established. Uh, in other words, we saw congregations that really pushed to grow too early and, and, and in some ways pushed to launch too early, uh, tended to... to Reach, reach, a, reach a point where they just kind of stopped growing. Uh, uh, several of them also just closed and, and didn't, didn't continue to thrive. Um, whereas congregations that sort of delayed a, a public launch uh, and, and really spent this time working on building relationships and building a larger base of relationships, then having a, a more of a formal launch we're much more likely to, to, to break through and keep growing and continue to thrive and, and grow over, over a long stretch of time. Um, it, was, it was a definite pattern in the data, a definite confirmation that this, this relational model uh, was, was much, more, much more of a way to, for a church plant to thrive uh, than this attractional model of, of come and see what we're doing. Yeah, and I thought that was kind of a good note that, yes, you understand that the Lutheran church is all about sacramental church planting and gathering with your core group around the word and the sacraments. It's more a matter of once you've established yourself, uh, you know, and there are some things as a church planter you need to prepare. You want to do worship well. Uh, You want to have a divine service um, that is, you know, uh, top notch. And so it takes a little bit of time to work through some of those things that you're really ready to go completely public, like you said, and start advertising uh, the worship service. And so it gives you the opportunity to build that life together, uh, to do that witness and outreach. And then uh, when you're ready, then you have the more public publicized uh, worship services and you invite people into the life of the church. Now, with that said, we're talking about a lot of strategies. One of the things that I was a little surprised with some of these interviews was it wasn't kind of a one. Well, I guess it it wasn't just a one size fits all um, that it wasn't the district saying, here's a specific, you know, means we we tried to put together resources that are are not only something that anybody can use, but that depending on where you're at, your location, your community, you can change some things in terms of how you do your outreach to best 
fit with your community and you know your community better than anyone. So tell us a little bit about what we discovered and flexibility and being more contextualized to the neighborhoods. Yeah, um, absolutely. That, that's, that, was, that was definitely key. Uh, one thing that, that I don't even think it was intended sort of as a test, uh, but it kind of became a test. In, in our survey, we asked the, these church plants questions about their, the makeup of their community. Uh, I mean, things like ethnicity, but also, you know, what, what are the, the typical ages, age ranges of the populations? Is this tends to be a community of older people or younger families? We talked about the economy. Is, is it dependent on one major uh, industry like like farming or maybe a big factory that that if something were to happen to the crop or something were to happen to that factory that a lot of people would be out of jobs. Um, one thing that we learned was that some some church plants just couldn't even answer these questions. They they weren't entirely sure. They weren't or or maybe they were sh they weren't confident in how sure they were. Um, and we noticed a, a difference just. Just those who knew their community, who felt they understood, uh, tended to be the, the church plants that were thriving. Um, so, so really this, this sense of, of being connected, being contextualized, knowing what's going on. Um, again, if it was an, a church plant that was intended to minister to a specific language group or immigrant group, obviously that was extremely important to, to be aware of, of that situation. Uh, but but really it extended to, to, to most of these situations to be contextualized, to know what's going on. Um, the church planters will, will expect setbacks and, and tension and conflict and that they'll be resilient and ready to bounce back from all of that. But ultimately what, what you said right off the bat, Steve, that there's, there's no one size fits all program. Um, even these best practices that I've just been talking about for the last few minutes, uh, in the survey, we found examples of church plants that did things differently even than this, and they thrived, they grew, they succeeded. Um, and so again, even, even what we call best practices are, are certainly no silver bullet or no one-size-fits-all program. Uh, what, what definitely seems to be important is that you be contextualized and you know your situation. Um, and, and obviously, along with that being being uh, deeply devoted to, to, to prayer and, and what you believe uh, is, is God is wanting to do in that situation uh, because that could certainly have a, have a major effect on where things are going. Very good. And, you know, you're kind of a demographer and you're talking about contextualization and you kind of understand the demography of what's happening in the United States. And so, uh, you know, we understand we're the third largest mission field, the most unchurched, uh, you know, nation in the world. Uh, we're number three. We also see urbanization. We see kind of an increase in our inner cities in terms of population. We see massive changes in ethnicities and ethnic groups. Did we glean any information there about what's happening with uh, urban and ethnic church planting? Yeah, Uh Really, really, we, we, we couldn't. Uh, that was one thing we were really hopeful and optimistic about. But unfortunately, it was one of these situations where it was just too few uh, to really tell definitively what's going on. So uh, 
especially even th there are there are actually several uh, ethnic uh, ministry uh, church plants in the LCMS, but we didn't hear from too many of them in our survey, unfortunately. Um, but one thing we did see uh, that the one major definitive thing we saw was that the data seems to show that church plants in a non-white majority community uh, did much better if they had an intentional vision to connect with the specific demographic that was there. So again, it's, it's that being contextualized for the situation is the most important thing. If it's a non-white community, then being contextualized to, to reach uh, the people that are there, uh, no matter who they are. Um, and, and we did hear uh, multiple times from, from the district interviews, as well as uh, our surveys from the church plants, that it is best for ethnic church plants if the leadership, and that includes the church planter as well as uh, a portion of the lay leadership, leadership needs to reflect the community that they're trying to reach. Um, we heard that from the districts. We heard that from the church planters. The, the leadership needs to reflect the community that they're trying to reach. Uh, that, that does seem to be important. There's so much, so much emphasis to be placed on, on affinity, uh, especially in our, our culture today, um, that, that this is an important, important aspect. Very good. And I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. We and our resources have always tried to give a framework through witness and mercy and life together to give a step by step approach, you know, because there are some nuts and bolts uh, kinds of things that go into church planting because you are developing an organization. You are finding the right church planter. You are building up a core group. But at the same time, we tried to make it flexible enough and contextual enough that you can find out who your neighbor is and how you can best serve them. And then, you know, fine tune your witness and your outreach around your communities. Uh, Mark, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know that you kind of played a role also in the data collection and some of those things, maybe uh, even in our historic archives. Did you have any input that you wanted to glean for us? Well, I would say it's especially exciting to see some recent data on how effective church plants are in reaching the lost. Um, you know, I've been involved with this for a number of decades already. And, you know, it's very common to hear, you know, that, hey, this is the best way to reach the lost. And so I'm really excited that uh, through this project, we were able to show that even in our uh, Senate, even in these relatively recent times, when I think we may all agree that outreach is getting more difficult, that still now uh, church plants are still the best way to reach the lost. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that likes, you know, um, to base our decisions on information that we can have, uh, not leaving out the Holy Spirit, of course, he's going to do what he wants. But so often it seems like we'd relied on pretty old information to say that uh, church plants are a great way to reach the lost. But here we have it uh, nice and uh, recently and showing again that it's still the best, uh, the best way to connect to those who don't know Jesus. That's a great point. And, you know, my part also was just looking at the annals of church history for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So it wasn't a surprise that uh, when you have a group of mainly German speaking 
Lutherans that are starting a church body that, you know, they drew in a lot of German Americans. Uh, they were planting a lot of churches because there was a lot of immigration that went on. But one of the things I found fascinating was it did not take very long. You know, the second synod president already was saying, yes, we have lots of German Americans that we need to reach. Uh, we need to plant new churches. Uh, but let's not forget these highly populated urban communities that are filled with people who are unbelievers and are lost. And, you know, from the very get go, we were planting a lot of churches, but it was also to those people outside of the church that were, uh, again, in need of hearing the good news. And that's why we were planting churches as well. So, too, we have been through these kind of turbulent times. You know, I expected to find in our history that when the Great Depression hit, the LCMS went to sleep on church planting. But that absolutely was not the case. You know, even after the Great Depression, we were still about new mission work happening. Even after we went through the Spanish flu, even after we went through two world wars, uh, you see the Lutheran Church on the cover of Time magazine because there was so much activity happening with New Mission. We bounced back from national tragedies by reaching the lost, by getting the gospel and the good news out again to all those people who are hurting um, from pandemic, from warfare, uh, all the things that we went through as a nation. Uh, the LCMS was there with New Mission work happening. And again, I focus on reaching the least and the lost and those uh, who are hurting after these national tragedies. So I, I also, uh, Mark, found that to be very enlightening and very good news that we didn't shut down when the Great Depression hit. We didn't shut down when we went to war. We didn't shut down when we went through pandemic, but we bounced back even stronger in terms of new mission to new people in new places. So with that said, uh, Ryan, I was going to let you kind of finish the conversation, you know, about who is involved with church planting, um, who can participate and support our church planting efforts. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, uh, I mean, some of the key players we've, we've already talked about, the, the, the districts uh, are, are taking care of these church planners and these church plants. They're, they're supporting them. Uh, they are, you know, casting casting a sort of wide vision and, and, and placing an emphasis on the importance of church planning. Uh, that, that's important. And, and of course, uh, the, the leadership, the church planter himself, the, the leaders and members of church plants, they're doing a lot. But, but it's not just limited to them. Uh, as I said earlier, it's important for these church plants to be connected, connected with the synod around them, the, the sister congregations that are that are all around uh, this country, uh, they, you know, in some cases they might not be immediate neighbors, but they are neighbors and congregations, older congregations, established congregations, whether they're, uh, you know, growing themselves or, you know, not, you know, stalling out and, and wondering, we're looking for a new, new sign of life. They can be rejuvenated. They can feel a new sense of purpose in, in supporting this church plant and being a part of what's going on, even if they're removed a bit by by some some geography or distance. They they can still have you know a part of the mission that's taking place, providing you know support for the church planner, uh, guidance for the leadership, or even material resources if they're needed. Um, the English district uh, has come up with a, a great plan to really get 
everyone in the synod involved in raising money for church plants. And they've they've been openly sharing this plan. They call it the 111 plan, or sometimes just gets abbreviated to the one plan. Uh, and they've been sharing it, and other districts have used it and found it working to success to some success. Uh, but it, it basically involves everyone, uh, e even the youngest uh, members of synod, uh, in terms of you know young children, uh, can can w can and give do give uh, just a small amount of money um, to to fundraising efforts to to fundraising efforts to church planning efforts. Uh, and supporting church plants uh, this way with, with our financial gifts. Uh, it's a way for everyone, everyone in Synod to be involved. And of course, certainly the most important thing is that everyone in Synod can be praying for this, be praying for our church planners, be praying for the churches uh, themselves. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into this, a great toll that it takes on, on everyone who's involved. Uh, and so having just that, that prayer and support from from hundreds of thousands of members across uh, this country, across the Synod, praying, praying for the church planners, praying for these efforts, uh, is the best way to get everyone involved. Amen. And we know that harvest in 2021 is huge, but the laborers are few, and we want to be praying for those who are going to labor in this ripe field. And as you so aptly pointed out, uh, what a good thing to remind ourselves, this is not a drain on the system. This is not a drain on resources. This is the best way for us to get back to our prime. You know, there's nothing better than parenthood to keep you young. And uh, we realize that, uh, you know, everybody can get engaged in this and everyone can be active, uh, even if it is in prayer. And it's going to bring new life to us as a church body. And uh, what a joy it is to participate in this and what a joy it is to know that, um, yes, there are some success factors and we look forward to more of Ryan's work uh, being published for people to discover uh, some statistics and findings and key success factors. Um, but most importantly, it is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of uh, wanting to reach the least and the lost uh, to do it in this most effective way and to really uh, get engaged and active uh, in mother congregations birthing children and for us as a church body uh, to be healthy because a healthy church body is one uh, that is multiplying in their love and their outreach uh, to the nation around us, which so desperately needs to hear the good news. So Ryan, we're looking forward to seeing more of your findings and especially thank you today for being with us on the podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Mark, for uh, co-hosting again and helping us to guide the ship. Uh, thank you very much. And a big thank you. Ryan worked very hard on this, and it was great to have his expertise applied. Amen to that. A lot of hours of effort went into this uh, survey. And again, we look forward to uh, seeing more of it being published and for people to discover more about the importance and the history of church planting and arsenic. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for our LCMS Mission Field USA podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. 
The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.